Hey family, welcome to the Kinship Collective podcast. We are ending otherness. We are sharing and lamenting and celebrating our stories and reimagining scripture in ways that build empathy, grow solidarity, and ultimately realize that we are family. <laughs> this week, we get to hang with Rocky Rogio, the executive producer and director of 1946, the movie. This is a documentary about when the word homosexuality was first translated into the Bible. Rocky is incredible. I'm so inspired by her fortitude, the ways that I watch her navigate the world, and the ways that she is fighting for truth in this matter. She shares some of her story about the entertainment industry, about her family, and really about grace and the maturity that it takes to remember that both the oppressor and the oppressed, those who find wounds and have been hurt by that word being there and those who find power by having that word in scripture, the word homosexuality, are all victims of bad theology. And then we reimagined 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 and 10, and the kind of realities that we are living into. This is an incredible conversation. Without further ado, here's our convo with Rocky. Ladies and gentlemen, today's guest with us has more than 15 years in the film and television industry. She has experience with major budget productions, shows you know, award-winning shows like The House of Cards, Parks and Rec, with Bob and David, Whip It, Red Dawn, from South Jersey, the director and producer of 1946, the movie, this documentary about the first time the word homosexual gets translated into the Bible. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Sharon Rocky Rogia. First jazz hands appropriate. Come on, we'll take them. Hello, Mark. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I, I'm thrilled to have you, Rocky. I, I had the pleasure of meeting you by way of Ed Oxford last year in person, following your stuff online. And to me, I think to me, the thing that really stands out about who you are is ferocity. And I, I said it before, kind of pre-recording, but I just think the way that I have watched you fight for this film has become you know, your project that you're working on right now, the 1946 film, that ferocity, the way that you are ferociously getting after funding, ferociously trying to put it in front of people. I got to be a part of a pre-screening and you were ferociously seeking feedback. How does this make sense? How can we make this better at this point? And I just really am inspired by that about who you are. So thanks for spending your time with us today and thanks for all you're doing with the film. I Thank got to you. kind of introduce you a little bit. What did I miss or what would you want people to know about yourself and the film so far? Well, sure. Well, first, thank you for being a part of one of our focus group sessions, because that was a really key moment for us as we're developing the film. And I think the most important thing for me in making this movie is not only, of course, all of the 
trials and just even fundraising and getting into women make movies and getting people to trust that you know I'm not a spectator in this arena and that I really mm. want to work you know uh, within the community but um, mm-hmm. really the the biggest takeaway is the tone of the picture which is it's not an us versus them it's not a we're right you're wrong it's wow. a yeah. academic journalistic relational approach to a real mistranslation that's traceable and trying to bring the uh, bring all sides together, whether you're Christian or atheist or, you know, everybody is impacted by the Bible. It's the truth. Uh, our whole world is impacted by this mm. book, the biggest selling book in history. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. whether you're Christian or not, we're all impacted by how Bible the Bible is interpreted. And we see it play out in our in our nation every single day. And so for me, I really wanted to help bridge a gap so we can engage in broader conversations and not make a propaganda film. This isn't a, a you know, I might have my ideas on interpreting the scripture and on what these verses mean or what the gospel really means and what it means to be inclusive and what it means to be a Jesus uh, seeker or a... Or, um, uh, a Christ follower is what I like to say as opposed mm-hmm. to a Christian. Mm-hmm. And so what do those things mean? And so we just want to be part of the conversation. So how do we do that? We do that with a non-threatening approach. So I hope that's what we've done. Uh, and that's been my vision as the director. So I, I love what you said early about uh, a broad perspective. I think there's some things in there that I think they need to be articulated very clearly, which you did. But I think, whenever we're hearing someone talk about the Bible, we're hearing their perspective or their interpretation. And I love that you said this book is so influential about how people do things. And some people point back to the words in there and say, see, this is how it's supposed to be, or this is what it is. Yeah. And what your documentary is doing is reminding us about all of the human hands that have kind of brought it to the place that it is. And, and these moments where things are decided on what gets to stay what's going to go okay how do we translate this and then something that is less than a hundred years ago gets placed in there or translated in there would you share there's when you talked about there is no us and them i'm really interested about the really broad and open perspective you have about how this film impacts the world or a conversation much greater than this little translation thing how have you felt that so far? Well, as I learn more, just even how the Bibles have been produced, uh, and as you were saying, how the committees have been formed, and how we as a society have decided we're going to live. And that's really mm-hmm. what we're talking about here. And so as we look at these ancient texts, and we try to apply them today, how do we take our understanding of, of the world that we live in, and not do a disservice to the people in the past by trying to import our ideas mm, onto the mm-hmm. text, you know? Mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. the biggest thing for me that I've learned is the affordability to grow within the text, to continue to expand conversation within the text in order to better our society. And so I think that's what really mm. what the text affords us to do and what is the healthiest for a prosperous society as opposed to this division mm. and this 
well, the Bible says, or the Bible's clear, because the Bible is anything but clear. And so we mm -hmm. do a disservice to the Bible, and we do a disservice to us in the in in our reality today. And mm -hmm. um, you know, and then a lot of the other notes up here is this biblical justice versus social justice, which is just craziness to me because mm -hmm. I, I just I just feel we've gotten so far away from what justice really means, and mm. so. If you say uh, biblical justice, beware, beware of that. I, th I think it's it's very damaging rhetoric and it's it's divisive. Yeah. So and so on on the left side, right? There's extremists on both sides. So you know mm -hmm. what does social justice really mean? And so again, I think our film really does a great job to try to not place an agenda to be academic to be journalistic to just have mm -hmm. broader conversations real honest conversations about what's going on with the bible mm -hmm. with the church and in our society mm -hmm. there's there's so much in there I, i'm 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 sparked and inspired a little bit about that the idea about social justice versus biblical justice that's another conversation for another day i think but i think about so so i'll let it be that <laughs> For you, as you've pursued the project, and I, for me, like I said, to, to know you and to watch how you interact with people, you cherish people, you value people's presence and their opinions, uh, their partnership, to hear you talk about it from that centered, kind of grounded, journalistic approach, let's just keep seeking, keep digging, keep telling the the clearest, most uh, robust story we can about this uh, is it's helpful. It's this reminder of what does it mean to kind of both and to hold all of the things, to hold the personal experiences and to pursue the story. And I remember, you know, there's a part in the film and in our conversation with Ed Oxford where he talks about he was holding the space in within himself, really surrendering himself to what he discovered and he 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 said it in kind of extreme ways but i just imagine for you as you're walking this journey and surrendering yourself to the outcomes of the research and the ways that the story unfolds how have how has that journey transformed you how have you changed throughout that journey in in seeking the story well, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that um, just more humility um, mm. and, um, you know, <clears throat> empathy for the other side is pretty, mm -hmm. pretty the most important thing because I believe that we're all victims of bad theology. And so Absolutely. I look at our oppressors who are our loved ones and... I love them too. So how do we get through this? You know, and I think that that's been the biggest takeaway for me is just trying to humble myself. And again, we can't say, well, the Bible says we have to be a little bit more mature on how we handle biblical text and mm -hmm. relationship. Yeah. Rocky, for me, when I think about relationship, I think about you and your father. And I think there've been other, you know, videos and stories written about your relationship with your father so when i hear you say that uh, something that comes up for me is like the situation where 
uh, <laughs> where someone has been hurt and wounded by someone else and to mature or the invitation to heal and transform and to live differently it, it's almost like it, that that path runs through some of those wounds and how do you navigate that but then it's like you can grow and heal but the circumstances or the personality or the beliefs or like you talked about the the bad theology that created oppression and and pain and woundedness it's still there and so I, I'm curious about for you as you navigate that and like you talk about this like there's been beliefs that you've held that have hurt me, but you have somehow cultivated compassion within that for the people who have hurt you. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know how I'm able to continue to go through it every single day sometimes. And I'll, I'll just be completely honest with you. It's not easy. Uh, yeah. I, I probably cry every single day or, you know, mm. close to. Uh, mm -hmm. as I think about these things or even today in my morning walk, I was just thinking about even one scene in the movie and just watching my father in, in, in a conference, we were at a conference with gay Christians singing and praising the Lord and he was stiff, you know, and I was just thinking of that scene and it's just like, oh, it's painful. And mm. I started getting emotional. Uh, and you know, I think for me, I get up every single day to do this work because I can see a future. You were there on Sunday when Britt was talking at uh, church on Sunday and, and she was mm -hmm. talking about the future makers and, yeah. and and we can see a reality that we aren't living in yet, mm -hmm. but we know that mm -hmm. it exists and we're so grateful for the people before us who have carved out a path and they might not be able to see the reality that we're living in right now, but they've mm -hmm. made that reality They've made that a part of us. And that really resonated with me because I'm like, wow, you know, I might not ever really get to see a world of full inclusion, but I have mm -hmm. to do something about it, you know, because mm -hmm. um, there are still preachers out there who are saying dangerous rhetoric. And there are churches who say they don't subscribe to that dangerous rhetoric, but they're not doing anything about this dangerous rhetoric. Uh, and I think that there's a big miss here. And so if I can do my little part, I'm going to do it every single day and I'll get through the tears with my friends and we'll, mm. you know, uh, hopefully celebrate uh, just little milestones as we see the world change one, one little vision at a time. So mm -hmm. um, I also get up every single day because I feel that uh, the, our, our world is in trouble when we don't allow other faith communities to thrive and we don't mm -hmm. listen to one another and so we're a country that su support freedom of religion and i think that we're also getting really far away from that as a nation and that's another mm. topic for another time uh but i think that you know mm. these are really dangerous issues that could hopefully be solved through love and through relationship and and compassion and understanding so mm -hmm. It's not easy, but I'll do whatever I can. <laughs> mm. Yeah, I, what I heard you say, some of how I'm hearing you say that is uh, you're kind of constantly confronted with, it's almost the pain of the world, the imagination of like, this is the world that I know is possible, where me and my father can be close, and there doesn't have to be this stiffness in a room where we both are pursuing the same thing and encountering God however that works for each of us, but there doesn't have to be this 
stiffness there there's warmth and inclusion and so but the pain of that is envisioning that but my experience is incongruent with that and i'm still stuck in this reality where that's not happening what what's interesting about what you just said is how you've as as you've pursued this story the story about the first time the word homosexuality gets translated into the bible you've pursued the story you've become more compassionate for people on all sides of this translation the people who are being wounded by it the people who um are using that to maybe oppress others or to become more exclusive somehow this journey has made you more hospitable and i this is you know what i'm hearing it might not be true but somehow that journey and openness has created um, a theological hospitality or this ability um, and a newfound understanding that hey like if I should be included, maybe other people should be included too, or other faiths. Uh, share with me how that journey to like a, a a faith hospitality has grown, but also like how that has how you've gained imagination for that and relationships. Sure, and we can see it on a on a, a small scale even in our own communities in America, even as um, you know. Uh, middle America in the middle of the USA, you know, people aren't surrounded by other cultures. And so mm. we're isolated from experiencing other people. And so I think that does a disservice uh, for for us as a nation. And um, when I think about it, I think that we're missing a part of humanity and we're missing hearing other people's stories and hearing how other people have um, grown to experience the world. And I think that even if we might not subscribe to somebody's religion or we were born in a different reality or religion, we can learn from each other. And in our conversation and learning from one another, they'll just see the love in us. And isn't that what we're supposed to do is just listen, mm. learn, love, love thy neighbor. And as we're just loving and allowing them to practice the love for God in the way that they have culturally learn the love for God, I mm. bet you we can learn so much from each other. So um, that's how I like to live my life. And I hope that uh, that Christians can start to see the value in that. That would be a mm -hmm. dream of mine. Yeah. That's beautiful. Rocky, there's, there's so many questions I want to ask you about the film and the project. I'm going to put those on the side because I think people can go to 1946, the movie, and dot com dot org dot com dot com and find more about the specifics of that because i, I want to know about rocky the the artist producer this person who has this knack for getting hiring the right people finding the right runners and grips and the people who will uh, working with the right talent uh, but also has an eye for the story and how do people want to how do people most uh, experience robustly the story how have you as an artist been stretched and challenged you know i think about when you talked about you know coming to tears every day or close to every day that emotion of 
not just the imagination of what can be and the ways that you've encountered the world that was inhospitable to you, but also I think about coming up against real production challenges, real capacity issues, whether that's budget, schedule. Would you share as an artist about this journey, maybe some of those challenges and how they've grown you? Sure. Yeah, that's been a big hurdle, as you can imagine. When I first had this vision for the movie, uh, it was my idea based off a conference. I saw Kathy and Ed speak. I was already a Kathy Baldock fan. I just learned of her. I had already said I'm going to do a documentary to try to bring, um, to, to find affirming theology, to find common ground with my non-affirming parents. And so two months prior, I, I'm like, I'm going to do it. But I had no idea it was going to be about this 1946 mistranslation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when I first heard of the mistranslation in October of 2018, in that conference, my mother and my father were there. I was already filming. I was like, this is the story, you know. And so mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. that first film day, uh, and my parents were just randomly in L.A. That's why I decided to just, let's go to the Kathy Boldock conference, Dad, and let me see what happens. (laughs) You know, hence now four years later, uh, the movie's almost done. But it's been a very challenging four years. COVID, obviously, in the middle of that, played a Mm. huge impact, had a huge impact on us. Um, But that first year in 2018, I started self-funding. I started paying for conferences. We went to Q Christian Fellowship Conference and. um, 2019, January, I paid for that. Uh, I started buying cameras, audio gear, GoPros, um, plane tickets, whatever we could do to start tracing the story to Mm -hmm. capture Reverend David, who is in his 80s. And in 1959, he's the one that wrote the letter to challenge the translation committee. I'm like, I have to meet this man and Mm-hmm. and get his story. Uh, and so the first eight months was me, production, self-funding, trailers, graphic artists, you know, conferences, to get us to a point where we had pitch material and we had met the right people to, my overall vision was somebody's going to see the value in this as much as I have, as much for me to start putting things on credit cards, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and quit my job mm-hmm. when I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't come from money, but mm-hmm. somebody's going to be able to help. Uh, and yeah. we found mostly allies, straight allies, uh, who have come to our aid. And we got into an organization called Women Make Movies, mm-hmm. which is our fiscal sponsor. So they're able to receive charitable donations on our behalf. And then mm-hmm. we're able to use the money. So it's a great tool for filmmakers, mm-hmm. especially in this journalistic arena. Uh, and um, so that was awesome. And then, you know, COVID was a real challenge. And I've mm-hmm. been the primary fundraiser on this film. So mm-hmm. um, handling all the social media, the promotions, the writing the business proposal, you know, it's been very daunting. Uh, and then if there are things that I don't know, even that first year, I'm not a shooter. So you'll see the in the mm-hmm. movie, the footage <laughs> gets better as we go. Yeah. Some of the footage is like my footage. You'll, you probably yeah. recognize what's mine and what's not. You know, but I had to learn how to use the cameras right before the events, you know, and different things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a year and a half later, I'm like, we don't have money for an editor. I've got to figure out how to edit. And I taught myself enough to now do the social media, but I still couldn't edit uh, and mm-hmm. then we were lucky enough to have some donors come through. I'm like, we need to hire someone now. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That was our, mm-hmm. our most important hire, our biggest line item. Um, and it was worth every penny. 
because mm. our editor is phenomenal and she took two and a half years um, hundreds of hours of footage my vision and she created a beautiful non-threatening academic journalistic approach as I've said before that really I think hits these notes as far as this data over dogma and mm -hmm. also not sweeping faith out of anybody like we don't want to sweep the rug out from underneath you we really mm -hmm. this is not an attack on the bible it's mm -hmm. not an attack on god this is not an attack on christianity this mm -hmm. is a a conversation to expand change so you know it hasn't been easy but it's been awesome some of the one of the quick stories i can tell you along the way like with money challenges money's always a, a challenge right now we're fundraising for technical post-production we need to get through insurance color and sound we're almost there. Mm. We're $35,000, maybe roughly around. I'm getting some quotes right now. We have mm -hmm. to figure out how much the insurance is. But money is always a challenge. But I've seen little miracles along the way, like little things like one morning I got a text message from a friend. Now, earlier I had had, I woke up and I'm like, I'm going to sell one of my cameras. I don't need this camera anymore. It was a Canon Rebel. I don't need it. And I woke up that same morning after my, you know, like from a text from a friend that said, hey, I'm looking for a Canon Rebel, da 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 so I can make videos for my church. Do you know anybody in L.A. that might be selling one? And it was the exact same model that I was trying to get $200 for on Craigslist or something. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's your address? So instead of making $200 on Craigslist, I spent $14 to mail it to my friend so she can make mm -hmm. videos for her church. That night mm -hmm. I went to a church meeting with a group of gay Christians who took me in as a stray, pretty much. I hadn't been to church in 20 years, and I'm like, gay wow. Christians, you know? And so we're sitting at this group, and one of the guys came up to me afterward, and he goes, you know, God's really been speaking to me. And he said, you need some money I want to donate to. He gave me $500. So I mm -hmm. ended up getting more than twice the amount of what I was hoping to get for the camera just yeah. from, you know, taking that initiative. So I can go on with story after story, but that's kind of been the experience along the way. So it's pretty mm -hmm. cool to just see um, the needs being met for this project. Yeah. So I, I, for me, again, something that the ways that I hear that story and it doesn't, it reminds me a lot of some of how the Kinship Collective has come to be and these moments where you you sense you know for you you encounter the story and you're like this is the story i'm going to give my whole life to this story i don't know how but i just know that this is what i'm going to do and not everybody can do that and not everybody will do that but you did it and you know i get when i hear the story about the the money and these moments where like you just got to make a decision you're doing and, and you, for you, what I'm hearing is, you know, when I think about all the business books and the kinds of leaders that put the mission first, so to speak, and for you to have said like, no, right now, this is the editing is the thing. This is, this is who we need, or this is what we need. And then to find the right person. And now you're in the space where you know that we just got to do color, sound, post-production stuff. But back to this small moment where you say like, okay, I, I got to make it through too. I got to survive and I don't need this camera anymore. Let me sell it. Then someone texts you, you mail, but you mail it and you just say, Hey, okay, you need it. I'm glad I had it for what I needed it for. And like, I'm just going to be generous to you. And that generosity, it's not like you could have never foreseen that the back. And I wouldn't even, it's almost like you, you, but when we talk about imagining a world, so we, we imagine a world where people will be generous. 
and people will give. So we live in the world in that way. So you generously give away this, this camera, someone receives it, they get to do, they get to participate in their community more fully, they get to like level up in the ways that they can produce and create and expose people to hopefully the most beautiful, robust, you know, compassionate, inclusive story. But then you're sitting in another room and then somebody is generous to you. And I don't know, this is where like all these worldviews come into mind, you know, <laughs> my wife would be like, oh, karma, yeah, you know, good karma. And some people would say, oh, you know, sowing and reaping and however your worldview like views that. But I think the way that I guess I'm, what I'm trying to articulate is like the way that I'm imagining or the way my worldview is working right now is when you live into this world of generosity, that's the world you live in. But it doesn't mean you're just giving and it doesn't mean you're just receiving. To be in that mutually generous world, it's both. And so you have to learn to receive and you have to learn to give and participate too. That's really meaningful. And so then, Rocky, when you said you end up in this room of gay Christians and you're like, that exists, that's a thing. For you, I'm really curious about your journey of faith and how has your idea of what it means, earlier you talked about following Jesus versus being a Christian. Um, so for you, talk about what faith looks like now and what that journey has been like. Well, it's constantly changing and constantly growing. Uh, I think that it's inspiring to be able to learn from um, the new Christian communities that I've just started to join, uh, really only at, through the last couple years. So it's inspiring mm -hmm. to see other people who have not given up. And as Kathy says in the movie, it's not that gay people want nothing to do with church, it's that the church wants nothing to do with gay people, has been mm -hmm. her experience as she's been working with churches who aren't there yet, uh, and. Mm -hmm and the pushback that she's received in that space. So I think for me, I'm just encouraged to continue to explore a faith community and explore a faith within myself uh, and see what that means and um, see how the film can inspire a world, a greater picture of what faith can mean as far as uh, just having a connection. I think that faith really is, a, is is community and connection. And so, you know, I really would love to see some sort of like kinship, just like as your, the name of your, your program uh, for mm -hmm. all humanity. And so that's where my mm -hmm. faith leads me in that vision. Mm. In this that's 10 really seconds, beautiful. we'll see what happens yeah, yeah. as we continue to grow. I know. How has, your project, the project, and that discovery of more and more truth, it's almost like how I perceive it from my vantage point. When to be a person from a marginalized group and people have for years and years pointed to a verse or several verses and said, see, like, you're not included. Like there's something wrong with, like you are not what God has designed for humanity. To experience that in one hand and to have experienced moments with God 
where you knew you were loved, where you knew that you were seen, and to hold both of those, and then to go through this process of creating this film and doing this journey to making this film, how how has that, like internally and your own faith perspective, how has it changed in that way? And I guess when I think about change, I'm thinking about like, it's almost, it's almost like the idea of who God is, like your understanding of who God is. How has that, did it change? I mean, it's almost like, I mean, just to know something intellectually doesn't change what you've always felt the whole time. No, it but actually how did, ha- yeah. you know, because okay. growing up, the God that I was presented was, and my father do, does still teach that it's exclusive. And mm-hmm. so we would hear things like, you know, uh, uh, it's not that these verses say that you don't belong. They say that um, what does six First uh, uh, Corinthians six eleven say? You were once once you were, and now you're washed and you're cleaned and you're sanctified. So you know mm-hmm. you have a choice to say yes, yes to Jesus Christ and to repent and you know all that stuff, which is almost worse because then you have to deny yourself. Uh, and so, you know, this exclusive idea of God just never really made sense to me. And again, it's like what I see or, or uh, what I understood of a Jesus message is an all-inclusive. And so that's why I ran away from the church many years ago. And now that I'm in faith spaces that teach a different message, it's inspiring. And I have been able to experience God in a way that is definitely inclusive. And then when it, you get into the academics of it, it just opens more questions, it gets broader, it's more interesting, uh, you just get more thoughts, which was another thing that you're not even really supposed to do in that, well, it's just this way and you have to accept it. And then, so in the beginning of the movie, you know, they, I say, I was always labeled as a troublemaker because I would question, you know? <laughs> uh, but this questioning has absolutely afforded me the opportunity to experience a different reality of what God is and what God could be for everyone. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, absolutely. <laughs> I, I appreciate you sharing that because when we talk about imagination, sometimes we don't even, it's like we don't have permission, we haven't given ourselves permission, or it feels too scary to even ask the question. Because like if I pull out that Jenga block, the, what will this tower fall? And, and, and so then we are even more constricted. I feel like my own body just constricting in on itself because it's, everything feels so uh, vulnerable is a word unstable. I think is a better word where it's like, Ooh, if, if, if I take this away, Rocky, I'm getting so hyped right now. I'm like, I'm, my emotions are like boiling over because it's like, if you take what away, like you mean to tell me if I take away an idea about God that is restrictive or like to these people that marginalizes all kinds of people in various parts of the scriptures, like you mean to tell me if I start taking that away, then like your God is going to fall apart or your theology. And for me, like, you know, I, I wanted to yell that into the microphone, but I love, you know, I'm reminded by you and you know 
all the Brandy Miller. I'm thinking of these people who walk in this, in that lane, very like compassionate, knowing that like not everybody has done the kind of work or has the kind of faith that can withstand the Jenga block being pulled. And so it's like you try to be truthful and honest and generous and compassionate. But at the same time, you're you're just kind of gently reminding and pulling so that the tower doesn't fall. Like, yes, yes, the tower is different now that it's going to the weight shifts on the tower. But we do this in a way where we don't want it to fall apart. But my posture is like, yo, it can't be. And it might feel like the tower is gone, but it was never a vulnerable tower. It was never a shaky, unstable tower. It's always been like. It was always the ground underneath your tower. And, but, but it's like our, our intellect put it into the tower. And so then that becomes a thing we protect. But, it's, you know, I think about C.S. Lewis or whatever. It's like, it, you're never hard to protect the lion. You just let the lion out of the cage and do whatever. Um, so th- those things come up for me when I think about that, the kinds of faith. And then for me also, Rocky, it's like, well, what has that story been producing? Like, what kinds of people are the kinds of... Yeah. The Sermon on the Mount all the way. You know, what kind of fruits is it really producing? Uh, And that's probably our best example of, I think, how to live, not just the fruits, but the whole sermon uh, in in how we should treat one another. but I, I've never saw good fruits with the teachings that I was presented with. And so I never responded to it. Uh, and I've responded more in the gay Christian community than I ever have in my, you don't want to know how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> you got plenty more. You're just starting to create. You're exactly. just on the front end. Exactly. Come on. Let's hope so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm hoping so. And, you know, I was talking with a pastor just yesterday and I was walking around these facilities in Los Angeles and um, and I was like, why do we do this? And I looked at it and I'm just like, you know, I've been a part, my journey is like, I've been on staff at various churches, I've been in various settings, black mega church, white mega church, you know, Hispanic church plant, all these kinds of different spaces. And I'm like, yo, like, even in, even, I'm like, and I was just, I'm like, even in mega churches, there's like the building with the broken blinds. I'm like, why do we have these broken blinds right here? This face is a major street. It's like $300. I almost, I'm like, I will go buy it and fix it right now because I don't want that side of that building looking like that. But anyway, I'm having this conversation with him and I'm like, how did we lose, you know, what you talked about, the sense of like solidarity with people like when did we become so like risk averse when did we centralize like people who are like like the safety of the the majority this is like none of that is what jesus was about yeah like from the root from the start from it's like from him walking out to the jordan river with john the baptist from him being like in the desert like none of that stuff had anything to do with like majority it was like all of that stuff was always a threat to the way things had been and he kept saying like yes i know that this is the story you have been told i know that i know this is the story we've been handed as jews 
but I'm telling you, this is what that story has always pointed to. So it's not about conserving this, but like, hey, this is where we're going. These are the kinds of people we can become. And I think in my viewing of 1946, it points to that. And I think that I can see, like you said, it's starting conversation, it helping people um, configure their Django towers, configure their theology. But more importantly, because it's not centering those people who like get to choose like, okay, well, like, I'm good. I'm included. I, I feel great where I'm at. It really is just, for me, it's a flag in the ground for the people who haven't seen themselves a part of the community because of these harmful misunderstandings of who God is and what God is like. And you're, and this film is going to continue to say, hey, I know that you have heard it said that mm-hmm. there's something wrong with you, that you're not included, and that you need to change. But I'm telling you, that's not ever even been a part of the story. This is a word that we chose to put in there in 1946. Oh, man, I'm so excited for that. Jeez. Thank so you. Ro- yeah. So, Rocky, let me, since we're here now, I want to go to First Corinthians passage uh, that you guys think through and talk about in the film. We'll read it, and then... From, from your vantage point today, after four years of journey towards truth, of interactions with the actual people um, who responded to the committee, to theologians all around the country and almost even internationally, and just get some of your perspective now today on 1 Corinthians 6, um, 9 and 10. What I'm going to start with is that even our last conversation was about Second Corinthians. We had a conversation with Candace, and she talks about the Second Corinthians passage where Paul is now in his second letter to this church, and he's saying, "Hey, you know, seek within yourself whether and if Christ, you'll sense Christ in you. You'll sense God at work in you, and you don't have to ask your pastor or your father or that other figure who that is." But here we are in 1 Corinthians, this first letter, and Paul's writing this letter. Uh, What does it mean to follow Jesus, and what are the kinds of people we become like? And so here he says this. I'm just going to say it kind of like how it is, and then I'll let you respond and help us to get a clearer, more uh, true picture of what what it could be. Sure. Uh, So 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's 1 Corinthians 6. 9 and 10. There's so much there. Rocky. Well, that was a newer first... translation. ESV, NIV? That's ESV. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. ESV. That's what I thought. So uh, the ESV is probably the most egregious as far as the <laughs> uh, use of language and interpretation and, and 
and um, translation. And if you look at the footnote, you'll see that it says uh, that it's either the active or the passive in a consensual homosexual act in the ESV. And yes. so what they're suggesting in this this translation, or... translation committee that is very evangelical, this is the evangelical approved version of the Bible, uh, they're trying to make it clear from their perspective that this is condemning homosexual acts, no matter what, active or passive. That is so far from the original text. And if you go back to the, to the King James, which is the 1611, it says um, abusers of themselves with mankind. So what does mm. that mean? Now, they also translate malakoi, which we'll get into a second, in the, um, new, in the King James as effeminate. So we have mm -hmm. effeminate and abusers of themselves with mankind. So that's mm -hmm. what we're looking at. Those are the Greek words, malakoi or sinakoitai. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. And so what we wanted to do and what we've done is gone back to the original Greek. What does malakoi mean? Which, again, the King James says effeminate. And what does arsinokoitai mean? Abusers of themselves with mankind. Or arson. And koitai, arson and koitai is a compound word, arson meaning man, and koitai being bed. So man bed, or man of many beds, you know. Um, mm -hmm. And so what is this activity that these men are doing? Uh, and it, I can understand from an evangelical and conservative point of view why this can get confusing. Because if you look at arson koitai, even used in other literature, or if you see other translations where it says men who have sex with men, which you see a lot, what kind of sex are these men having and what is really being condemned? Because it's not, what we do know is there's enough data to show that it's not homosexuality as we understand it today, which is an orientation. Uh, and mm -hmm. it's not um, a loving consensual relationship, again, as mm -hmm. we understand it today. And so what did they understand in their time, uh, and what were these men doing? So the men were of high society. They were allowed to do whatever they wanted to do with their bodies. They were the active participant in order to be proper in society and not a passive participant. And it wasn't the male and female. It was the penetrator dominant or the submissive uh, penetrated and so mm -hmm. there were these sex acts that had to do with status, with class, with rank, dominance, power. Uh, and so those are the themes that Paul is seeing as he's surrounding himself with all men. His whole company is men. Uh, and he's traveling the countryside with men. And he's seeing these habitual behaviors of men. This is, again, just condemning men society societal behavior in this higher hierarchical reality uh, mm -hmm. and he's seeing these behaviors that are contrary to being a, 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 a well-fitting member of society if you're drinking mm -hmm. habitually you're not able to keep up with your responsibilities you know if you're mm -hmm. in the temples having sex with if you some of the words too like the malakoi could and does in some cases refer to a male prostitute. 
mm-hmm. the word right before that is a female prostitute. So the mm-hmm. arsenokoitai would be the person who is paying for the prostitute, whether it's the female or the male. And mm-hmm. so, you know, but that then lays a whole other conversation for sex worker conversations in our society mm-hmm. today and what does that really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We still believe that we can show that the verses are more talking about exploitative acts that mm-hmm. have a victim that most of the time the the uh, passive participant doesn't have a say mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. and so it's abusive behavior in every single one of these cases it's abusive behavior mm-hmm. so even if it is men having sex with men it is the kind of sex they are having it is the uh, it is the abusive behavior that is going on and it is the not caring for uh, it's just demeaning to the other person uh, and so it's a very complicated text. Let's just put it that way. And what we want to walk away from is we, we can say for sure that it's not homosexuality as we understand it today. Uh, and so we need to look a little bit bigger, deeper into this. And hopefully people will come on that journey. And our scholars will explain it a little bit better than I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although I'm well, getting pretty pretty good at it. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, one of the things that I'm I'm hearing and appreciating is uh we it shouldn't take a scholar. Like it takes a scholar to kind of break break what we've traditionally thought, but I love that once once someone can articulate it and once the movie comes out, we will all be able to articulate it a little bit differently and we won't have to say it as um granular with the like theological specificity or any it's just like Okay, this word, there was a team of people that translated these two words that mean these things into this word that doesn't mean this, which meant something else at the time, which was this, you know, this DSM, I don't know, this the, this psychological diagnostic manual diagnosis um, around uh, psychotic kind of behaviors or um, these things that psychologists have been using to like label people there's all these things that were wrapped into the words at the time and that stayed wrapped into the words, but your movie and even this perspective you're sharing with us reminds us those things aren't what it's saying. Those aren't what that isn't the heart of it. And people will gain language to be able to wade into some of those waters that are interpersonal with people who have different understandings. But most important to me is that people will give themselves permission and freedom. People will say, okay, this, it has never been talking about me as I've tried to journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Come on. Absolutely. You know, so, and uh, hopefully it does provide freedom for so many different people. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, one of the things that stands out to me in reading this passage, uh, today is the kinds of behaviors when I read the kingdom of God right now, I am, um, I'm, I'm reading and listening to, there's a, a local kind of theologian who's big on the subversive nature of scripture. And so he talks about writes about, um, the subversive kind of reality of what's happening in scripture. 
this is not apples to apples. Back then, this was this, and this is what was happening. And so when he talks about the kingdom of God, he translates it, the new society. So Jesus was entering and ushering this new society, a new way of being. And I think about this list, like the list in Romans or these lists of the ways that we live into, when we talk about the world we imagine, where the generous world we've talked about that we imagine, a world where I can look at any other person, no matter what their ethnic background, their sexual identity, their gender identity, their economic world they live in, whatever that, and to say, this is my sibling. This is my sister. This is my brother. That's the world we want to imagine. And it's almost like a world where there is abuse and these weird power dynamics that doesn't create that world. That doesn't unveil that kind of a world. And it seems like that's what Paul is trying to say here. That kind of a world doesn't get created by these kinds of communities. Rocky, I'm going to get loud <laughs> again because the beautiful world that I can see happening, I see it unveiled by a lot of gay couples, the most generous, the most kind, the most likely to adopt, the most engaged, the most compassionate. Those who've experienced compassion, who have had to have the most compassion for themselves as teenagers and young adults and emerging adults walking through this thing that has marginalized them from their family. Many of them have been kicked out of their home. They had to emancipate themselves from their home for the sake of their own well-being. So they grow this insane, you know, inhumane level of compassion for others. That's why everybody feels so warm. You know, if you can kind of get grounded in your own story and not intimidated by our queer sisters, our brothers, our queer siblings, it's like you feel so because they they know what it means to embrace themselves, their story. They they know what courage looks like in the face of losing everything, the courage to come out, the courage to be. Yeah. And so for me, when I think about like who is unveiling that kind of world, the world we imagine it's our queer sisters and brothers and siblings. Are you kidding me? That kind yeah. of a world. Well, oh, I think man. you hit it right when you when you said, you know, what Paul was really writing about uh, was radical inclusion. And we have a, another mm. scholar in our film, Dr. Potter, David Potter from the University of Michigan. He's a Greek and Roman historian. Mm. And uh, he articulates it so beautifully, you know, and, and he's like, Jesus wasn't wasn't crucified because he was spouting the the party line, you know, like these were radical right. ideas in the ancient yeah. world yeah. that we are all to be treated as equal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the those are the notes that Paul was getting at. So it's a really, really cool movie. I don't know if that line made it in the movie, but <laughs> <laughs> you will see Dr. Potter in the movie. We, yeah. You know, there's only so much of two hour interviews from each scholar that we could put in the movie. But yeah bonus dvd or social okay. media y'all can yes. check out our socials we do a lot on the tiktok we're almost at one hundred fifty thousand followers now Yee. and yep we're almost at nineteen thousand on instagram and as soon as the movie's done august 5th is our hard deadline we're on a tight tight deadline to finish 2022 yeah. Yeah. Uh, i'll get back i'll be more active on the socials and once we know what didn't make it in the picture i'll be able to start posting a little bit more of some fun stuff of things that didn't make it in the movie mm-hmm. so We've got tons of content to share with y'all. Come on. Rocky, 
thank you so much for this project, for your time today. Um, it, you are creating, you are throwing not just the roadmap, but you are doing your part, like you said, to help us live into the world we imagine, the radically inclusive world of kinship and connectedness and empathy and compassion for one another. I'm so inspired by what you're doing and how you have done it and how ferocious, but also how unbreakable you have been throughout this process. Thank you. you you're, 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 you're a lighthouse to me and to, to us and to others. Thank you. I so appreciate that. Uh, how can we help you meet that $35,000 mark? Is it yep. with um, Women Make Movies? How do we support that? How do we support you on social media? How sure. can we find you? Yeah. So even though I said our hard deadline is the 5th of August, that means we submitted to a major film festival and we have to be done by then in order to compete. And they're looking at our film. They've replied to our email. They have everything. So we're, we're, we're really w working to complete. And in order to do that, we do have to execute a couple line items right now. The best way to donate is um, on our GoFundMe, which is everything is linked on our website, 1946themovie.com. But mm -hmm. if you wanted to give a larger gift or if anybody wanted a tax break, also on our website, you'll find Women Make Movies. It's a 501c3 organization. You can make a full tax deductible donation. We'll get the money. Uh, we'll be able to hire our colorist, our sound engineer. We want to add some cool credits at the end. We got some testimonials from the community that mm. we want to include some voices from other people to end our movie uh, to kind of introduce this idea of you know who this movie impacts and or how it's already influenced people. Uh, mm -hmm. So that's just a vision for mine for the credits. I'm rambling now, but yes. <laughs> uh, and if you can't donate, y'all, we've got merch. Uh, and um, our merch link is also on the website, 1946themovie.com, click merch. There's uh, tons of items. We just got a ton of pride items too, stickers, a lot of stuff so you can buy, you know, a sticker if you can't afford much and we're just so grateful thank you that's beautiful rocky we appreciate you thank you for all for all of this work and all of this sacrifice um, to help us imagine this radically inclusive world and to to include ourselves and to be able to embrace ourselves differently amidst this thing rocky you're the freaking woman thank you thank, thank you. you all right my sister peace we are family.